You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 13 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart and I am joined by Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Hello, Jen. Hello, Neil. Buenos dias. Hello, Jen. That's excellent. It's like like being at the Eurovision. (laughs) (laughs) How how is the Spanish going? Bien. (laughs) Also, I have noticed, I don't know if you've noticed this, Neil, but Jen in correspondence has started saying things in Spanish, which is lovely. I just feel the more, I need to use it as much as I can. Yes. I mean, I have very limited knowledge, but trying to add a wee bit in here and there. Yeah, and I think if you become familiar, you know, it becomes a familiar yeah. thing to do, then that's well, gonna... it's interesting. Here's a wee comment on it. So um she in Spanish is Ella, which is spelled E L L A. And whenever I see the name Ella, now I'm ah. thinking, Oh, it's oh, she yeah. and I'm saying Ella in my head. So I think that's a step forward. Oh yeah. <laughs> the thing we say, isn't it, about fluency is if we start dreaming in the language yeah. that that's that's a I'm, I'm far, 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 far <laughs> from that. <laughs> Unless you've got dreams where you're saying hello a lot. <laughs> That's right. Do well, you speak hola. different languages, Fiona? Uh, yes, yes. I have half a degree in French. Mm. And I have um, German and some Italian and teeny tiny bit of Russian. And I, I I mean, I can pick up Spanish when I'm in Spain. Did you Did you ever do the go and work abroad thing? No, no. No, That's I, so I got to second year of French. I, so I did, I did a joint law and French degree and got to second year of French and then didn't do the year abroad. So... I stopped the French at that point and just focused on the law. <laughs> kind of wish I'd focus on the French, to be honest. <laughs> and it, 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 sorry, I'm just curious. It, Jane, what other languages do you have? English. That's English. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't studied a language. I think I said this already since I was in S four in high school. Yeah, oh, was that French? Yeah, French as it, as it was then in old grade. Oh gosh, I couldn't speak you? any French then either, even though I got the old grade. <laughs> Um, yeah, sorry, that sounded like I was fishing. Um, so, um, a bit of French, tiny bit of Spanish. I learned Spanish out of a phrase book once. That was a horrible way to learn a language. Yeah. Hated it. Um, and Malayalam, the language in India that I learned. Yeah. I tell you, I met and a bunch you, and of you've people. you got some Greek as well, though, because you, yeah, you yeah, will often the, be able to, yeah. They're funny because the Greek and the Hebrew is, it, they're written languages. So the minute somebody starts speaking modern Greek or modern Hebrew, I'm just lost. <laughs> Uh, but no, did I tell you, I saw some people in a, a curry house. I think I did. I sent you the video of this uh, in a curry house, Mother India in Glasgow, a, a few weeks ago. And I noticed you were that, in Mother India, the best yeah, yeah. place for curry in Glasgow. I was fantastic. I was meeting... trying to say that is debatable for those of us who live in the East End. Okay. Award winning. But anyway, <laughs> you to take us there, Fiona. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, so, um, yeah, I found myself with an afternoon in Glasgow because a flight got cancelled. So I went to Mother India and I noticed that three women across from me were speaking Malayalam. So ah. I started chatting away to them. It was brilliant. And they they were they started filming me for their social media feeds. <laughs> As you can that. imagine, I loved it. Yes, you'd be lapping that up. We know how you like a camera. Excellent. <laughs> oh, well, that's jolly. That's very fun. Um, and has filled a little gap because we don't actually have any correspondence this week. However, we are still interested in hearing uh, if you're happy with the current length of the podcast. So don't forget, you can email outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org or you can contact us via social media if you have strong opinions on any of that. I did wonder about setting up a little poll, but then I thought that feels quite a complicated thing. 
to do during the summer holidays. But anyway, uh, yeah, get in touch if you if you have strong views about the length of the podcast. Otherwise, you were sticking it an hour. Uh, now, also, whilst we're on intimations, those of you who listen religiously, we hope you don't listen religiously because we're as we'll, we'll hear actually when we talk today, we're kind of. Uh, railing against religiosity but if you listen religiously to this podcast then we are taking a break from recording in order to have a little bit of holiday time so the next episode is going to land on 20th august and for those of you who don't like to be caught off guard don't forget that for the couple of weeks after that jen's going to be away on her south american odyssey speaking (laughs) spanish like a native so (laughs) so neil and i we're going to be joined by a different guest keep your ears peeled to find out who that is going to be Neil, you had something, I think, to say in response to some previous correspondence. Yes, this was two podcasts ago. Well, I think it was three. Glover's office on politics and refugees. And then Elizabeth got in touch and she had put an alternative point of view, very, very helpfully. And I was actually listening to that podcast yesterday where she had said, well, a number of points, but one is surely when housing is in such crisis in this country, then we have to bear that in mind. And also, if people who have fled places of persecution and hunger are in a place where they're warm and comfortable and fed, even if that's a hotel, surely that's an improvement. So I got in touch with Alison Phipps, Professor Alison Phipps of Refugee Integration at Glasgow University, to ask her how she reflected on those two points. And I think it's worthwhile saying Alison is always very good at engaging with all sorts of different viewpoints and does so always in a very hospitable way. But first of all, she said that in respect of people living in hotels, she said, first of all, we've to love our neighbours as ourselves. Alison's a Christian, and therefore if if we were content for ourselves to live in a hotel room all the time, then that would be okay. But we're, most of us are probably not. And she also pointed out that often families in these contexts are trying to educate children. So it's far from ideal. She also says, yes, that's a very valid point about uh, housing uh, and homelessness policy is also really, really important. But of the world's 100 million refugees, um, I was shocked at this, 0.013%, not even 1% or 0.1%, but 0.013% are accommodated in Great Britain. And her argument is that we need to do our fair share. And in, in terms of population density, Britain is the 42nd most population uh, dense country in the world and Rwanda is the 22nd most densely populated country in the world, then she does not think it is justice to ask refugees Mm. to be placed in in Rwanda where the population pressure is even more um, severe. So those were some of her responses uh, to the points that were raised. But way back then I had said I would go and look at it, so I did and that was what she had said. Great, well um, well done for educating yourself on that and pursuing that because I think we've learned on this podcast that often we say we're going to do things and then some of us, I'm pointing at myself here, don't follow through. Well, that was in the back of my mind because in the podcast I said, oh, I'll go and investigate that further. And in the back of my head, it'll be like Fiona looking at the Jew. Was it the Jewish law? I will read that book on holiday. I will read that book when I'm on holiday. That's my promise to you today. Although I appreciate that. I've promised things about that about four times. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Thank you for that. I learned an interesting thing about Rwanda yesterday, actually, um, that the Rwandan political system has a higher, it's it's the country in the world that has the highest number of women involved in the... Uh, in uh, wow. elected politics. Yeah, quite interesting, isn't it? Um, can't remember where I learned that. Uh, right, anyway, let's crack on. So today we're going to be talking about John chapter 12. That's on pages 39 to 40 of the Light and Life Gospel. 
gospel, if you're following along with that. And this is a chapter where the fragrance of devotion and the cries of adulation hang heavy in the air and the hour of crucifixion is rumoured on the wind. Before all of that, though, it's time for Glover's Off. Glover's Off this week is about a phenomenon that I see quite often. Now, I'm not sure how often you folks get this because of the way that your houses face and what you can see. But a lot of the time, particularly when the weather is quite sunny spells, patchy sunny spells, so you've got bits of cloud and then bits of blue sky, you often opposite me get these bright, bright fields, these beautiful lit up uh, bits of, of field. There were two of them yesterday when I was driving home. Or also sometimes what happens is because of the hills behind me, the sun is partly in shadow where I am, but higher up in the hills, the suns are not in shadow. You get these really, really bright patches of, of field or of forest or of rock. And I, I just love those and I'm, I've been so conscious of them. And part of the reason I'm so conscious of them, very often in Glover's Off, I make this kind of link where I'll go, oh, in a funny kind of way, Jesus is like that and, or make some connection with faith. But you might think that might be quite hard to do with these patches of light, but the great Welsh poet R.S. Thomas, I think the R stands for Ronald, has one of my favourite poems about making a spiritual connection with those bright, bright patches of field. And it's called The Bright Field. And it's one of my favourite poems. The bright field, I have seen the sun break through to illuminate a small field for a while and gone my way and forgotten it. But that was the pearl of great price. The one field that had the treasure in it. I realise now that I must give all that I have to possess it. Life is not hurrying onto a receding future, nor hankering after an imagined past. It is the turning aside like Moses to the miracle of the lit bush, to a brightness that seemed as transitory as your youth once, but is the eternity that awaits you. Mm, it's beautiful. Very beautiful. R.S. Thomas. R.S. Thomas. And I wanted to read that this morning because I'm conscious that people might be travelling and might see bright fields on patchy sunny days. Or maybe even if you're listening to this in the car at the moment, maybe there's a bright field that you can see. And I love that connection. Maybe that this is like the lit bush, a brightness that seemed as transitory as your youth once, but is the eternity that awaits you. What is the bright field for each of us? Well, thank you very much. That was delightful. And mm. steering off the politics and uh, doing an addition for Thought for the Day, it would appear. <laughs> I'd have you over Anne Atkins any day, though. Was, it, was, that, was that Thought for the Day? What made that Thought for the Day-esque? Well, I think interest? it was the fact that you introduced it by saying, sometimes I say that Jesus is a bit like that. <laughs> so we are on John chapter 12. Uh, pages 39 to 40, as I mentioned, of the Light and Life Gospel. It begins with this very intimate scene. In fact, it picks up really from where we left last time, because last time we were in the account of Lazarus and the raising from the dead, and we're back in Lazarus's home with Martha and Mary. And it's this very, very intimate encounter, isn't it? What did, what did we make of that, Jen? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's it's totally intimate. It's totally a whole body experience from Mary and the more you think about it 
well, more I thought about it, you can't just kind of, well, that was very nice and dismiss it. Mm. This is, um, e- even now in, in our Christian world in the West, because that's my experience, we would find this difficult if it was mm-hmm. happening in front of us. Um, there's no words. Mary doesn't seem to say anything. Um, she uses her tears. Her hair is uncovered. She shouldn't have had her hair uncovered. And not only is her hair uncovered, she's it's falling everywhere. She's she's close, so close to Jesus. She's wiping his feet with her hair. Um, there's this beautiful smell. It's a costly, generous expression of love. You could just sit with it for a very long time. There's so much just in, in this one thing. And and G- and then there's Judas who's like, this is ridiculous, stop this. And Jesus says, leave it alone. And it, and it's like, a, I felt like it was a... It's the last time we, we saw Mary at Jesus' feet, um, she was with Martha. And she, Martha's in the kitchen, that famous one. And, and Martha um, Martha's complaining and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. And Jesus says again at that time, she's chosen the right thing to do. And, and yeah. we've talked before about how Mary, um, by doing that, is she's being a disciple. She's being taught. She's going to go on and teach. And it's just a taught... It's, again, as I said last, last podcast, how have we ended up where we are so often with women in the Christian church when we have a woman with Jesus doing what she's doing in this scenario? I mean, I think that's interesting because I, she... Mary is clearly an irritant to those around her, isn't she? <laughs> by by the nature yeah. of her devotion. So whether it's mm. to Ma- to Martha, who is hacked off because she's not helping her in the kitchen and all of you know all of that stuff, and and, and we do stereotype that story, don't we? But you know, Martha Martha is irritated by Mary. Judas is irritated by Mary. The only person who's not irritated by by Mary is Jesus. Yeah. How how do you think Jesus manages that? I I have two two experiences that that speak to this the first happened when i was training to be a minister and a group of us were gathered it was shortly after sam was born and it was known sam had had a a kind of bad moment um, and i'd had to go home and just be there be at home with anna and he came back and everybody knew that there was kind of pressure on us and later that conference we had a worship where we were actually not thinking about this story we were thinking about the washing of the feet and uh, the guy leading it and it was one of these things I didn't think was done terribly well he says in order to think about the washing of the feet I'm going to pass around this basin so we all passed around this metal basin and it was badly set up as a sacramental moment or whatever it was meant to be but when it got to this... With water in it? Yeah, or... with water. So oh, it's right, kind okay. of sloshing. I thought you were just, like, I thought you were just were... passing a basin yeah, an empty basin. We were. We were to... Well, it, was... it still felt as pointless because <laughs> you're just meant to look at this basin of water and have a meaningful moment. And we were like, this doesn't really work. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, get my socks off you. Well, that's what happened. Because when it got to a woman called Dot Getliff, some of you might know Dot. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Do you know Dot? Yes. Uh, uh-huh, yeah. Dot crossed took up the basin and crossed the whole of the gathering. There were about 40 of us and started to kneel down at my feet and mm-hmm. be, took my shoes off and my socks. And I didn't know what was happening here and started to wash my feet in front of everybody. Now, I was torn. I was very aware of this story, but I was also inwardly dying of embarrassment. Um, so that's the, the first story. And the second story 
was I was once in a group who did a dramatic reenactment of this story, and it was a woman called I was chosen to be Jesus in our group. It was in Woodlands Methodist Church in the West End, and uh, they said who of Glasgow, yes, and uh, and uh, they said who will get to be Mary, and there was a woman called Mandy Lewis who uh, was a physio, and they said, oh, Mandy, you could do it, and I will never forget. The, the sensuality of Mandy's practiced hands going down my head and the smell and the intimacy of that moment. Uh-huh. And to this day, this happened 25 years ago, any time I happen to see Mandy, either for real or on Facebook, I always remember the intimacy of that moment. Even though it was in a drama, Yeah, I still felt it. So yeah. I guess my question is, I'm, I'm sure Jesus enjoyed that. Uh that experience he enabled it why for him was he able to enter into it in the way that i didn't manage when dot washed my feet but was able to when when mandy anointed my head Uh i don't know there's something about the two situations for your reaction isn't the second one you were prepared for it and you, Mm -hmm. you knew it was a reenacting of the story and it had been permitted and you'd been given these roles. In the mm. first situation, it just happened spontaneously and you are all full of, oh, what are people thinking and how do I feel and why is this happening? And I, you know, I don't maybe don't want this to happen. And but then when we take Jesus and think, how how is how does Jesus react differently but similarly to us? Mm-hmm. And is is it because of his he is God, therefore sinless in the big sense of that. So there's, he doesn't have that a shame or mm. worry or concern of others, what they're thinking, because he, he knows, he knows Mary and he knows what she's doing and he just relaxes into that experience, which takes us to the whole, the sexuality of it, because mm. we, we can't just put that to the side. Mm-hmm. Um, because anyone touching each other in this way is described, well, it's not a sexual act. It, it involves who who we are as sexual beings. Yeah. And there's yeah. something about the completeness of Jesus that you can take this, and also something about Mary, that she's willing to show this incredibly generous, all-out worship. Which which I think is, is because I, I think, Neil, there's something about people pleasing and there's something about shame and there's something about awareness of of others mm-hmm. in how you've told those two stories because i think jen you're absolutely right when you when you're in role mm. you you kind of get past that because you're in you're in role and you know what the boundaries are but but in the first situation the former situation that there was a there, really your concern there is not about what dot is doing your concern is about what other people are thinking about what yeah. dot is doing yeah and so it's so is there something in in jesus that actually Jesus doesn't give a stuff about what people are thinking because that doesn't matter. What matters is what the father's thinking, right? And so therefore, and therefore with the sinless life as well, there's a shamelessness. And I mean that in the positive sense, there's, there is no shame to that. But it's interesting to me that Mary, there's a courage about about her action that's prepared to say, actually, I don't care what Martha thinks. I don't Mm. care what Judas thinks. (laughs) I don't care what the, the group of people in this room think. 
All the men in the room. All the men in the room. And the women in the room. But, you yeah, know, but lots of men. There would be lots of men. Of course, of course. But yeah. it's not... It's, yeah. It's, I don't think it's just a gender thing here. No. There's a, there's a, there's a shamelessness to her devotion. Yeah. And if we find it socially unacceptable what she was doing, you have to multiply it hundreds of times for the context she was in. Yes, although I, I think that's right. I was going to pick you up on... Because you started by saying that, actually. Yeah. But, but I, I actually... I also think we we have a sort of uh, very very British. I'm going to call it very British kind of fear of emotion, fear of sensuality that that doesn't that that means that we are we are a different culture. So it's not that we're necessarily. I'm not sure that I agree with what you've said there. I I, I understand what you're saying about the connotations of it, but I think I think the culture at that point, that Middle Eastern culture, would be a more um, physicalized culture. Than we would have in, you know, awkward Scotland. It it would be, I think, Fiona, but it but but within still tightly bound rules. So we still have so th- th- yes, there would be physicality, but actually sometimes it would be men well, one of the things that used to shock me was that um, Indian men used to hold each other's hands yes. walking down the street. And I think African yeah. men do something similar. They um but th- but within men and women, there are tightly bound rules. Yes. And we get that in the story of Jesus even talking. You know, if it's scandalous for Jesus to talk with a woman in public, what's this this level of scandal? One of, so the commentators get quite vexed about how does this link to the, the story of the anointing in Luke's gospel, which seems to happen in Galilee, and the story of anointing in Matthew and Mark, which happens in a... In well, Bethany, everybody agrees it's in Bethany. Matthew and Mark say it's in the house of Simon the leper, and in this story, it's in the house of Lazarus. So people sometimes say, "Well, Lazarus was also called Simon, or something." And like you've got that. Simon the Pharisee in Luke seven. Oh yeah, that's right as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, so that's so there 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 are interesting crossover points between mm-hmm. the two stories. But one of the things that's interesting is some people think there's maybe two incidents: one which happened in Galilee, and one which happened in in Bethany later on. But what's interesting is that the John story, which very clearly seems to echo the Matthew and Mark one, has one element from the Luke story that appears. And it's the way that the woman wipes Jesus's feet with her hair. And one of the commentators says, I don't actually think that's an accurate remembrance by John, because there's no way that a woman as virtuous as Mary Uh of Bethany Uh would have dared to unravel her hair and then to wipe Jesus's feet with it. And Aside from the kind of idea that virtuous women don't have that intimacy to it, which I think is problematic, you know, that, that uh, I also find it interesting, though, as a comment on just how scandalous it was to undo yeah. your hair. And I think, you know, back to the Mary and Martha, the other story of in the house, uh, when Mary's criticised for sitting at Jesus' feet, the criticism is not just because she's not pulling her weight, it's because she should have been making the food. She uh-huh. should have been separate. Uh-huh. I know you're saying men and women would have been there, Fiona, but I think culturally the women would have been in, in the kitchen, making the food, serving the food. So, so Mary is going even further at this point in her intimacy with Jesus. Yeah, and there's resonance with feet. Yeah. You know? So you come yeah. back to the Ruth and Boaz account, yeah. and you, mm. you know, and there is something that we maybe miss in that as well. There's there's two mistakes I think we can make with this story. The first is one that we've already discussed to make it very cerebral and and as Jen, as you have rightly said, this is very intimate, sesh, sensual, and also in some way sexual. 
And and another way is to take it and say, well, Jesus and Mary are having some kind of secret relationship here, which is the route that the Da Vinci Code took with it. And that was based on uh, a, an ancient gospel, the gospel of Philip and also the gospel of Mary, which were discovered in Egypt. Uh, the Nag Hammadi scroll find uh, at the end of the Second World War. But it strikes me that there's a middle ground here where it feels to me that there is a healthy intimacy of Jesus and Mary. And we don't like to talk about this very often, but we all have people in our lives with whom there is an intimacy which which doesn't go into scandal but goes beyond the usual kinds of more transactional relationships that we mm. maybe have. Mm. And it seems to me that, that Jesus and Mary have that and seem to be modeling this in a able to have this in quite a public way. Is it, yeah. does that? Yeah. And, and Jen, because before we started, Jen, you, you were talking about that. I thought it was really helpful to, to talk about the fact that um, it's a, it is an overt act. So it's in yeah. front of other people. It's not yeah. something that's kept in the shadows and the secret. You're knocking in and closing the door and, Hiding away, their intimacy is open and public and seen by everyone. Mm-hmm. And and I love the generosity of what mm. she's doing when financially because of the perfume. Yeah, but also in every other way, she's give she's giving her all. And I I was thinking often and sometimes well not often sometimes in my church experience, there's a reaction against generous worship, whether that's having the best thing at a worship event or a gathering, you know, doing the best for other people and for mm. God. And people react people react against that. I remember once uh, we had lots of cakes left over at an event and um, there was some, there was young people who hadn't been at the event but were at the back door, let's say, hanging about, uh, being quite loud. And and I said, Let, let's give them the cakes to these young people. And, and the reaction was quite... You know, why would you give cakes to them? Mm. And, and it just yeah. reminded me of this. Of this, this story made me think of that because it's like, what are you doing? What are you doing with this perfume? That's not what you should be doing. You should uh-huh. be giving it to the poor. Which, of course, as Jesus says, you know, that's that's a good thing to do. But there's a place for for generosity. And and sometimes people say to me, why do you always give us nice things in in an event I'm involved in? We're like, because we serve a generous God. We should yeah. be generous people yeah. with what we've got. And and the Marys of this world do challenge us, I think. I, I personally feel quite challenged by mm. Martha's view of, of Mary, Judas's view of Mary. Mm. Because I think I think somebody who is wholehearted in their devotion like that, I, I find that really challenging. Because mm. in my heart I'm not that generous. <laughs> I know I'm not. Mm. Do you know, I cling on to and I have, you know, fear of how people view me and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, there's there was something that happened in the dot get lift time where I was determined that I needed to honour the fact that she was prepared to be so overtly mm-hmm. generous to me. It was linked to the fact that obviously things were happening with Sam. In fact, she said that as she washed my feet. She said, this is for you and for baby Sam. Um, yeah, there, there is there is something, isn't there, about the needing to honour the Marys and not joining the ranks of the Marthas and the Judases in this story. I think we have to yes. say Martha has many, yes. many redeeming features. Yeah, of course. Um, but... <laughs> If you haven't listened to last week's episode, last, yeah. listen to last episode. Yeah, we're fans of Martha. We're big fans of Martha. I'm a big fan of Martha. Well, it's because I think I'm quite like Martha. That's why I get challenged yeah. by it. <laughs> yeah, somebody once started a retreat called uh, A Week of Being Merry for Martha's. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, what, to, we were talking earlier about boyfriend music. 
Yes, <laughs> yes, we were. So, yeah, I'm quite. I've been quite critical of boyfriend worship songs, songs that are just all about how you feel about Jesus. In the past, and and I wonder, I, I'm wrong in that because this this story is about Mary just telling Jesus how she feels without any mm-hmm. words, mm-hmm. and 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 the relationship is the core of who, of who she, of who she is. That that's what makes her then follow Jesus and I don't know what else Mary went on and did who knows but um so that I, I feel I've been wrongly critical of these kind of songs because there is a place for all of us um to express just express our love for Jesus there's other times when we need more factual songs you know if you're mm-hmm. feeling there's times I felt really really rubbish and uh, I just I can't I don't want to sing about how I'm feeling because I don't feel like that and yeah. I just want some information about what God is really like uh, to get me through the situation but this story challenges that. It says you, you you need to have that intimate relationship with Jesus at the core of your being, I think. I mean, I have an issue with the very phrase boyfriend music. Yeah. Because I get the I get the analogy, but I think even the, the, the way it's phrased, it makes it sound callow, it makes it sound young, actually, mm. immature. Mm. Do, do you know, yeah. there are all sorts of connotations to, to... It's a shorthand for a certain type of worship music. I get that. But it, even the shorthand itself is it carries yeah. a connotation. I think I won't use Cause, it because I, I mean I agree with you, Jen. There's so many times I want to sing propositional truth about about who God is because that really helps me devotionally. But there are other times where I am, you know, I'm aware of just how much I, it's important that my emotions are connected in worship, and and, and without being critical or judgmental of others, I think there are people who choose to kind of cut off the the, the emotional out of a you know a spirit of wanting to be truthful and that's great but actually we are fully emotional people what what songs do you think are peak intimacy i was about to say peak <laughs> boyfriend but i'm going to retire i take what you say and retire it i i'm thinking of um the one that goes jesus holy and anointed well, you see i don't think that is in that category now because because i think for me that song it's 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 actually speaking of truths that we know about god but it has a chorus that goes i love you i love you i love you does it not i love you i'm trying not to sing it on the podcast on a company yeah no it does mention it yes it does but i mean for me it would be more songs that that begin in that way of that mm. sort of you know i love you lord do 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 I mean, but even even when we go and try and find some, actually, we we maybe discover there's more nuance in some of it. Maybe yeah. some of it is yeah. about the music style as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think yeah. There's I think as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Yeah, that yeah. David, he was a he didn't you know. <laughs> or or an older one. I heard the voice of Jesus say, "Come unto me and rest. Lay down thy weary one. Lay down thy head upon my breast." Yeah. Right. Again, it's thoroughly biblical. I was listening to Bono's um, Desert Island Discs oh, at the got weekend, that up. Yeah. and he chose one of his songs was "Abide with Me," mm. ancient hymn. It's uh-huh. int- intimate. Abide uh-huh. with me, fast falls the evening. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, deeply intimate. Yeah, I've come back to "Abide with Me." Mm. The, in the the Undertakers or the 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 folks sometimes in the funeral business refer to "Abide with Me" and "The Lord's My Shepherd" as the gruesome twosome. And I think that's pretty harsh. I've and I've, probably because I've sung them so many times yes. now, I've actually I really love both of them actually. But if I come to song worship with this image of Mary at Jesus' feet, yep, it it changes whatever I'm singing really. 
It yes. is not the song in itself. Mm. Well, that song sounds like a cue for another song. It does. It's not the I song know, in itself. I thought you were going to start singing, <laughs> singing it. Uh, so we... When the music fades and all is stripped away. Yes, that's right. So this is not a podcast about worship songs. So let's move the conversation on. <laughs> I can see on. that. Um, I want to talk about Judas. Yeah. Does he get a bad rap? Yeah, virtue signaling. Is he just trying to do the right thing? As far as he saw it? I find this is his least sympathetic moment. Mm-hmm. I do sometimes have some sympathy for Judas being caught up in the election, the fate of his inevitable role. Yeah. But... And there's, oh, there's a beautiful piece of art I saw once about Jesus going into hell to rescue Judas. I'm trying to think where that uh, was. But, um, the harrowing. Yes, yes, it's part of that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, he he's not great here, is he? Yeah. No, it's, his, it's his fakeness that's exposed yeah. here, isn't uh-huh. it? So the, he, what he says publicly this should have been given to the poor. Mm. Absolutely correct. <laughs> you can see how you would want to agree with that. Uh, it's not. I mean, we have these discussions in churches all the time, don't we? Correct use of money. <laughs> uh, what should we be doing with it? Um, but it, it's what's revealed of about who he is, really. Yeah. Like he's a, he's a, he's saying this: the money should be given to the poor. But he's a thief. He's taking the money and using mm. it for himself. Uh-huh. And it's that. It's the whole. It's our whole person, isn't it? And and I know I've I've failed in this in my life. There's yeah. been times when I've oh this is what we should be doing and uh, there's stuff in my life that is the complete antithesis of what I've said and so is what he's saying, is it a projection of his own exposure, so does Mary's action expose something in his own heart that means he then projects something else in a hard way, in a a harsh hard way Yeah. I I think and I like you Jen, I speak of myself here there are parts of ourselves that we run away from. We're really frightened of them because we think God will judge them. We're ashamed of them. We're embarrassed. And Judas definitely had that. Has he agreed mm-hmm. to... I don't think he's agreed to betray Jesus just yet, has he? But no, it's, it's just definitely... It's the last supper, isn't he, does that? It's a, it's, yeah, it's yeah, next definitely time. happening. Although, and as so, we know, John John doesn't use things, doesn't tell things chronologically always. No, I mean, there's definitely something going on within him, isn't there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And very often when we run away from ourselves, when somebody else seems to remind us of that part of ourselves that we're running away from, we then become very hard on that person. And I think that's what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe I do feel a bit more sorry for him because he's running away from mm. something. Yeah. It's such a contrast with Mary, isn't it? It is. Yeah. yeah. It's really stark. And it takes me back, Neil, to what you were talking about with the, with the different um, accounts of, of this type of devotion happening. So I'm thinking about Simon the Pharisee. I, I love that chapter in Luke 7, and I've done quite a lot of drama stuff around that, contrasting the, the two attitudes to Jesus of Simon the Pharisee and the woman who's who's nameless. Um, but there's something of that going on here as well, isn't there? There's a, there's a contrast in how people... It's quite stark, actually, that the way people respond to Jesus. They they either respond in devotion or they respond with by ex- the exposure of their own sin and, yeah. and the walking again, the walking away. Really, can you imagine trying to get the decision to anoint Jesus with a jar of perfume worth three hundred denarii <laughs> past the congregational board? <laughs> I know. Well, that but and, and oh that's Jane, it, that's what I would get. Oh Jane. <laughs> 
Really? This this is a very laudable <laughs> idea, but we need to do some more work on this proposal. We need to make sure that we've got sufficient reserves in place. Yes. <laughs> I don't, I'm just thinking that as well. I and know you, to Oscar. You, Sorry. You, said a few, you said a wee while ago there, Fiona, it wasn't a gender issue, this, or a or was it biological sex. Uh-huh, yeah. I'm just one. there's no recounting of a man behaving like this towards Jesus. And then I was thinking of when Jesus comes to wash Peter's feet and he mm. says, no, no, mm-hmm. you won't wash my feet. I think there is something about it being, it is pertinent to the fact that mm-hmm. Mary is a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think and the, the, and the other women that do this in mm-hmm. the other Gospels. The closest, I would argue, is potentially Joseph and Nicodemus at the end of the Gospel. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And their generosity again. Mm-hmm. Huge yeah. co- financial cost to give yeah. away your tomb like that. Yeah. And to Another some cost. extent, yeah. d- sorry to defend me here. But no, 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 that's theme, what I wanted to think about this. That, yeah. uh, possibly when Jairus falls at Jesus' yeah. feet to beg for the life of yeah. his daughter. But with both those stories, there is an element of having had to die and to be shattered before you get to that point. So with Jairus, yeah. it's it's total horror at what's happening to his daughter mm. and with Joseph and with Nicodemus there's a sense of at last somebody's doing something here but it's only after Jesus has died the women get there first yeah although Mary has just been through the death of her brother and seeing Jesus resurrect him yeah so she has come from a the wise men falling at the feet of Jesus yeah yes. the shepherds yeah running <laughs> so it happens all the way through. That's what we're. Yeah. But there's always an element of brokenness. There's an element of having to mm. lose before you get there, which takes us back to to the embarrassment of mm. somebody coming over and washing your feet, doesn't it? Yeah. You, you need to be in that place of of not really caring what other people. Yeah. I, I think yeah. that's what happened with Jairus, wasn't it? I don't care anymore because yeah. Yeah. the most the most important thing for me is to is that my daughter is saved. Yeah. 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 Interesting. The the leper who comes back. He fell yes. at Jesus' feet as well, didn't he? John at the foot of the cross. Yeah. Gosh, this With is the like women. A, this is like a great Bible study where we're <laughs> picking out one thing. Fantastic. So, are we? Are we? Have we said all we want to say on the on the first eleven verses? Never. We'll we, never get to that point. Oh, yeah. Well, I know that's it. We could sit in it for. We could sit at the feet of it. For so long. We should have the for for the as well as the reading list and show notes things we do not recommend you read the Da Vinci Code. Yes. I know. I mean, you mentioned the Da Vinci Code, and I thought, oh gosh, don't let's go down that track because that's a pile of nonsense. Right. So, oh, no, I'm really ready to ready to move on. So we're moving on. He then enters Jerusalem. Yeah. So then John sets, and, he, and actually, I, I, it really struck me the fact that John says the next day, because mm. we have discussed all the way along that he doesn't always put these accounts chronologically in order, but it was he's very clear he's linking it, isn't he? The next yeah. day, this is what happens. The, the crowd has come for the festival. It's ramping up, isn't it? The tension yeah. around this whole, mm. the whole set of accounts is ramping up at this point. What's interesting here is that John has palms. Nobody else has palms. Mm. None of the other Gospels have palms. Neil, I'd never noticed that. I didn't know that either. We just assume, don't we? Yeah. So the so um, the yeah the the big thing in all the gospels is the donkey borrowing mm, uh-huh, should be called uh-huh. donkey borrowing Sunday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because the palms are so incidental. But John has palms here. Other people have branches and leaves, but they don't specify that they're palms. In fact, some people speculate there weren't many palms in Jerusalem at this time. 
but the palm seems to be a reference to the Maccabees. Remember mm. them? <laughs> yeah. The we Maccabees talk, are back, yes. We, we talked about them in the episode about the sheep and the shepherd and the Feast of Desecration and Hanukkah. So when the Maccabees came back into the temple, they took palm leaves. And that word for palm is one of the very few instances in Greek that that appears apart from John's Gospel. Uh, the Book of the Maccabees was written originally in Greek. And what seems to be happening is that John is heightening the nationalistic expectation mm -hmm. of what's going on here. This is the great David King who's coming. There are a couple of other hints. Uh, when the bit where they say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel, that's very kingly language. And often English translations miss out that in the Greek, there is a contrastative participle that happens at this point. In other words, uh, something to say, the, the big one in English is the word but. He, so this is one way of translating Greek. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel, but Jesus found a donkey. Hmm. And so oh. what he's doing is he's doing it as a deliberate response yeah. to the the fact that uh, the the crowd is shouting in that way. It's a, it's a slightly weak yeah. contrastative. Yes, an antithesis. Antithesis. It's the word de. Um, often in Greek, the word is ala, which means but. But here's de, which is a slightly softer one, but still contrastative. So it seems to be a reaction here to Jesus with palm trees has been turned into the next uh, Joseph ben Maccabeus. And Jesus is saying, now I reach for Zechariah and I am going to show that God is with us in the form of a donkey. Also, the first part of the quotation is probably from Zeph Zephaniah, Zephaniah 3.16. The Lord your God is with you. I'll quiet you with his love. It goes on to 3.17. Um, so Jesus is understanding kingship in a radically different way and yeah. doesn't want to be pinned into this great national hero he doesn't want to be william wallace he doesn't want to be robert the bruce william the tell joseph ben Ma joseph ben maccabeus he wants to be the messiah for all nations and that then leads us i know we'll probably come back to the palm sunday bit but that then leads us to the bit where the greeks come to jesus yeah. and these are not greek-speaking jews those are greeks come to jesus want to see jesus and then at that point jesus now says the hour has come and this links with that moment in John chapter 10 where Jesus says, I have sheep not from the sheepfold or that bit that we hit in John 11 where it emphasized that Jesus was for all the nations. What John seems to be doing here is saying Jesus is going to be a king for all the world. And then later on in this chapter, we'll see Jesus say, I will draw all people to myself, all people mm. to mm -hmm. myself. So there's a great universal non-nationalistic moment that's happening here. And it, so, so it's a hinge, isn't it? It's mm. a hinge from what we've read about with Mary and Judas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be because Judas, yeah. Judas—that's the kind of king Judas wants yes. Jesus to be, isn't it? The yeah. nationalistic king, our guy. Mm. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. And there's a, a ridiculousness that Jesus mm -hmm. is willing. He's willing to look ridiculous on a donkey. He must yeah. have looked ridiculous on a donkey. Yes. And still smelled of perfume. That's right. Yeah. So he was willing Genuinely. to look. Yeah, yeah, willing to look silly. Uh, wrong mm -hmm. with Mary and he's willing to look silly and wrong in a different kind of way on the donkey yeah. it's the foolish things isn't it sharing yeah. the lies and that both of them have elements of power being carried gently mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. interesting isn't it
Um, so then what happens is that, so, so the other side of the hinge is that it takes us into this encounter with the Greeks. Mm, yeah, yeah. And the, and the, the growth of the kingdom beyond. Yes, beyond and, the, but the minute that happens, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And the, the word glory is never far away from suffering. So that goes right back to Lazarus. Remember that uh, Jesus said this healing of Lazarus is going to happen for the glory of God. And on one level, it's this great kind of triumph over the grave. But the minute that happens, people want to kill Lazarus and Jesus, both of them. In fact, I think uh, earlier in verse 10 of chapter 12, 12, it says the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death as well. So this is a glory that is going to immediately lead to some form of suffering. And then that glory of reaching out to the Greeks immediately leads into this image about the seed falling into the ground. And, and also there's a link before it as well. So um, the Pharisees see, see this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And then immediately it's the Greeks are there saying, we want to see Jesus. So there's, I think there's a link at both, on both sides of, of the world being what Jesus has come for. And then that takes us back to the prologue, doesn't it, really? Yes. Came to those that were his own, but they didn't recognise him. Yeah, yeah. But the world did. The, yeah. Yeah. And that's again linked with light, because light comes up again and again in this chapter, again. Light and loss, you know, yep. keep talking about loss again. Mm. Loss leads to glory, yeah. and and that somehow being able to see the light first of all involves the admission that you're blind. Mm-hmm. In John's mm-hmm. world, which is a seed falling to earth as well, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, there's something about the burial of the seed and the and it goes into that dark place. Yeah, brought down in order to 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 flourish. I love two poems about this. There's one that you've done, po- one that <laughs> yeah, you've done. Yeah, all right, done, all right. <laughs> will you put that on the? Will you put that in? You're, you've done a poem on this. I've done a poem of this. I may or may not. <laughs> the reason. It's not your favourite, though, is it? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> the background to this is that I immediately said, "There's another poem I love about this," and Fiona said, "Who knows that I know her poem about this?" Said, "You didn't mention my poem." There is a lovely poem by Fiona Stewart about this, and also an almost as eminent poet called Jan Richardson in her book *Circle of Grace*, who talks about blessing the seed, and she has a lovely poem about this called *Blessing the Seed* in her book *Circle of Grace*. She says, I should tell you at the outset that this blessing will require you to do some work, for you must simply let this blessing fall from your hand as if it were a small thing you could easily let slip through your fingers, as if it were not most precious to you, as if your life did not depend on it. Next, you must trust that this blessing knows where it is going, that it understands the ways of the dark, that it is wise to seasons and to times. And then, and I know this blessing has already asked much of you, it is to be hoped that you will rest and learn that something is at work when all seems still, seems dormant, seems dead. I promise you this blessing has not abandoned you. I promise you this blessing is on its way back to you. I promise you when you are least expecting it, when you have given up your last hope, this blessing will rise green and whole and new. You're listening to Poets Corner with Neil Glover. 
<laughs> that was beautiful. That was that was a very lovely poem, actually. <laughs> but so true. It's so true, isn't it? It's that idea that, and it's it's what you talked about a minute ago about power. That until the seed is hidden and apparently dormant and dead, well, apparently dead, but actually dormant. That that's when that's when the real work happens. And I mean, he's prefiguring something, isn't he? In what he's about to do, he knows what he's about to do. There, there seems so much of a common thread with the breaking, the loss, the loss of the perfume, the loss of status. But this is what you go through to come to glory. You have to trust God through all of this. That I think that is why there's so much trust of the Father that comes towards the end of this. Are you prepared to trust the Father? And do so many problems arise in our own lives or in Christian communities because we do the opposite of this. I'm thinking of we try and hold on to things. We try and control things. We want things to be our way. We want things to be the way they've always been. And it, it doesn't mean that... Um, so we need to be the... I just feel that when Jesus says this, we need to be the opposite. And it was all, it's about letting go. It's giving up. It's moving on. It's holding lightly, which was yeah. so well described in that poem. But that doesn't mean we're passive and we don't do anything. Like just sit on the couch <laughs> and, and the church will do what the church needs to do. We need to be active followers of Jesus who make things happen so people are can be drawn to Jesus. But in everything we do, it's a, this is not mine. It's, I'm just doing what I've been given to do. Um, that pouring out the generosity again, just it's a, it's so much in the Christian walk is a, is a fine balance, isn't it? Finding that it's like the path along the top of the mountain. Sorry if you're on another uh, mountain analogy, but <laughs> you know they find that narrow path, and if you if you go down one side, then you're into religiosity and strictness. If you fall down the other side, well, then you're just off in your own way and doing your own thing. And it's just finding that narrow path of doing stuff, but holding all holding it all lightly. It's, yeah, it's not mine. Yeah. It's not. Yeah, and you to extend your analogy, Jane, you will fall from the ridge at times. You will you will end yourself up on one side or the other, and this is the story of the God who brings us back. And then loving and hating your life is strong words in that same wee bit. Mm. Whoever loves their life will lose it, and who yeah. hates their life will keep it for eternal life. What what do we make of that? I know because it can lead you down probably fairly erroneous paths, mm. where you deny all all goodness in life yeah. here and now. Yeah, where it where it takes me is something you just said a moment ago about letting it go. That I know that there are times when I am taught, as in T A U T, taught with a tension that I'm grasping. I'm trying to control. I'm trying to hold on to everything. I'm desperate for my image to be okay. I'm desperate to be a success. All those things, and it's about letting go of that and trusting in the Father. And and I say that so knowing that I have used that as a cliche at times. But it's the trust of the Father. The, the last part of the chapter is quite hard to talk about because it flows over so many different themes. It's, as so often happens in these chapters in John, the last part of the, of the, of the chapter feels like almost this free-flowing reflection. And yet for John, these are very important. They, they defy logical sense, but what they seem to be is an important part 
of allowing Jesus to let us come to terms or speak to us about what's happened in the can, first can part. Can I circle of the back story. to the hate and love thing? So sorry, can, before we move on from that, Neil. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but I, I yeah. was reflecting on. Do you know the, the the verse where Jesus talks about hating your family, hating your 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 mother and and brothers and sisters, mm. and the way I, I've often heard that taught and and have reflected on that is that the the, the hate word is it's about the relativity of that 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 actually we love God so much that anything we feel towards anything else is is feels like hate would that be and I wonder I wonder if he's getting mm. at something there with that that and and it takes me back to Mary and the devotion at the start of the chapter that we love God so very much that actually everything is a pale shadow yes yes and she she totally loved Lazarus mm-hmm. and Mary mm-hmm. I mean, of course love, that's yeah, right yeah but she loved Jesus more yeah Sorry, Neil. You you wanted to go on to the end of the chapter. I think you were, you were taking my job from me there. Well, yeah, no, that's fine. But I'm just <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm just thinking what you say about the hating thing. You know, about loving so much that it's not that you actually. Hate. I think it's not that you you hate, and I know that's not what you were saying either. It's more that it's almost this poetic way of expressing it's, how yeah, much you it's love. Antithesis the other thing, again, isn't it? it? You love one thing so much yeah, that that, that yeah. the love you have for something else feels like hate. And it's, yeah, it's not about, yeah. I suppose it's like this, our discipleship or the way we follow Jesus. We we make decisions to go his way, not because he's, that's the right thing to do and we're trying our hardest to do it, but our it's our love for him that makes us want mm-hmm. to please him and to be like him. And that's, that's completely different from the religiosity that we started off talking about, the comparison between religiosity and and love of him, trying to trying to be the a good person, trying to be a right person. That it, it it's not that's not going to work as a motivation. It's the love for Jesus. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, so still in this wee section <laughs> before we move to the end. <laughs> You're desperate not to get to the end of this chapter well, I, yet. I want to talk about the voice from heaven in verse twenty-eight. Mm. I want to talk oh, about the yeah. glorifying name and the voice from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Jen, you were well. Sorry, no, Jen, you were saying about the fact that, that this is this is one of three times that we hear the voice of the Father. Yes, we have the voice of the Father at Jesus' baptism, which I think is talked about quite a lot, and then we have the voice of the Father at, on the at the moment of transfiguration on the mountain, and then we have this one. But I think this one's kind of lost. Mm-hmm. I haven't really heard it talked about much. Mm-hmm. And it's strange mm-hmm. because the people there, some just thought it was thunder, some thought it was an angel, but nobody really knows what he said. But then Jesus said this voice was for your benefit, not mine. But people haven't really heard what was said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what was the benefit. What was the benefit? Is it just the knowledge that this is moment? This must be another momentous moment, and I wonder what the momentous nature of that moment is. Because the baptism, you know, Jesus is being set aside. He's he's associating with other people who've been baptized. He's, he's starting his ministry. The transfiguration. They know the disciples with him see him as he really is. They see that he is God, um, in all his glory. So, what is the momentous thing here? What is happening? And, and there is a wee bit just before it. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Which uh, is is like Gethsemane. It's the similar the words to Jesus uses in Gethsemane, but Gethsemane isn't described in John's Gospel. 
So again, is it that? Yeah, I'm going. To, I'm going. Uh huh. And the, well, yes, I'm, and it's. I'm choosing yes, this. The way. time is now. That's the yeah. yeah. Um, I'm just. I'm not being picky, but it doesn't actually say that they didn't hear what the voice said. They just say it sounded like they. They heard it said it had thundered. An angel had spoken. Another yes, so maybe said an angel yeah. had spoken it. So it sounds yeah. like they did understand it, mm-hmm. but they were finding it hard to describe what it was like. Yeah. So others, others maybe some did hear, but others didn't. Maybe. Yeah. But there is, there's a significance, isn't there, in 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 this yeah. moment? Some people divide John up into John chapters one to eleven, which they call the book of the signs, and then John chapter twelve through to the end, which they call the book of glory. And this word glory here is keeps coming again and again now, but it's a strange glory. But it's almost as if the voice is saying, "But it's still glory." This is you know, Lazarus being risen and dying, that's glory. But it's, you know, coming in a donkey is glory. It, there's something here, I think, about us understanding what the path of Jesus is, this subversive yeah. glory. And then we get to the end of the chapter. At <laughs> <laughs> <I> last, <laughs> we're allowed to go there. I do not think, I think it's because I was anxious about it, because I really am struggling. Well, if it helps you, we're nearly coherent. out of time. Also, so, I don't you know. like it. <laughs> I also don't it's one of the it's one of the it's one of the passages in the Bible I find most difficult, which is says the reason that people don't believe is because God has blinded their eyes. You know, it's not because we're not seeker friendly enough or our, our churches aren't open enough, it's just because God has blinded them. I find that I find, and I find it sits in contrast to the idea that God also wants to draw all people to God's self, or Jesus wants to draw all people to all self. The, where I go with this, and we can be challenged, is I, I always go to Romans chapter 9 to 11, where it is a temporary yeah. hardening. That, that tends to be my own take, and that God will eventually pull people yeah. in. Yeah. And that, yes. And it, it sits alongside Jesus saying, though, that, that again, he comes back to this thing that he's not come to judge the world, he's come to save the world. Yeah, which mm-hmm. comes to yeah. after that passage as well. So there's a desire of yeah. Jesus to bring all people to himself, but a recognition that part of that mm-hmm. will be a rejection. And God intends a rejection. I think almost to, so that it's that line that gets used about John the Baptist, so that the innermost thoughts of all will be revealed. Mm. I'm not saying this just to, you know, relieve your anxiety or anything, but we are out of time for today. <laughs> So maybe we need to come back to this and discuss it further when we discuss John 13. Well, we'll do a second episode exactly. in the second part yeah, of John exactly. 12. Well, bonus, bonus oh. summer special. I know, I exactly. Uh, that's, been, that's been really, really interesting this morning, this, but today, I think, for me personally. Um, I think I've got some takeaways in terms of being challenged around my own devotion to Jesus mm. and how I view those who are wholeheartedly... Mm. Yeah. Um, devoted to him but I don't know about everybody else what what your challenges to take away yeah I think for me it's it's similar Fiona about the the intimacy that Mary showed that had with Jesus and how she showed her love for him I think that's a challenge for me because I do love Jesus and I I want to love him more and I want to Mm -hmm. show him I show him that love I was reading a C.S. Lewis uh, bit from uh, his book on the Psalms where he talks about, um, you know, when you love something, it's it's made, it's not as good when you can't tell someone. You come over the brow of the hill and it's the most yes. beautiful beach you've ever seen, but there's no one there to tell. Or 
you've read a most amazing book, but you haven't emptied to tell how good it was. And he 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 puts that into worship and in that telling God is is part of the loving of God. It's one and the same thing. We need to tell and and love. And so I need to think about how I how I express my love to God. Mm, Jesus, that's good. I think I'll think about that every time I don't have my phone with me, and I think I should take a photo mm. for Instagram. Oh, I don't yeah. have my phone. Does it count? Because it is that sharing. That's, yes, that's, it, that's cool. one of the roots of that, isn't it? You want yeah. to share, yeah, the good, the good things, the joy. Yeah. yeah. Neil, what's your takeaway? The thing I'll take away is I think it's exactly what you've said about the devotion, the love, loving somebody so much that everything else becomes hate. The idea that Jesus was mm. so immersed in the love of the Father that he didn't mm. um, care what other people thought. It's it's Mary mm-hmm. as our teacher here, mm-hmm. as well as Jesus. Yeah, very yep. much so. Very much so. Good. Well, it's been good to chat to you both. Um, Jen, do you have a gem? Well, it's the start of the school summer holidays. So my gem has to be residentials. Now, I think we often think of residentials, holidays for young people as, you know, a ho- yeah, as I've just said, a holiday. I'm getting away. Uh, Neil's waving issue holiday brochures at me. <laughs> I was going to try and avoid branding holidays. There we go. <laughs> The, the, no, the, sorry, the reason I'm yeah, waiting to interrupt you, Jane, is because it's... <laughs> I know, I know, Will. It's got a bunch of freezing people, Scottish people, in wet T-shirts carrying Black jugs of... juice. Diluting <laughs> juice. Don't yeah, it yet. needs to be just like such a classic moment from me. residential yeah. holidays. Sorry, Jane, carry on. Yes, so um, that's good you've interrupted, Neil, because that's often how we think of them as it's fun, it's great, get away, have a holiday. These are all very good things. I think often with the best things of youth ministry, they come. Their roots are in um, historic, ancient spirituality, and one. And I think the thing about residentials comes from the idea of pilgrimage or retreat. That there is a real place for getting away and being separate and being building a community uh, where you worship God and learn more of Jesus. And I would just encourage you if you're are you involved in youth ministry. Uh, older children's ministry and get them away if you can uh, take them somewhere even if it's overnight in your own church that can still be a retreat um, do your own thing go somewhere together uh, or in, or use uh, some other organisations in Scotland like Scripture Union Scotland and other people do these things as well um, where they do all the hard work for you really and you can just go along with a bunch of young people because they are they can be life changing and hugely significant moments of meeting with God in a new way. That's Brilliant. my gem. Well, that's a lovely way to finish before we take a little break, actually, for <laughs> our summer holidays. So we will be back in mid-August and we'll pick up the narrative on John 13. That's foot washing, revelation and betrayal. Join us then for more outspoken conversation. And uh, in the meantime, we hope you have a good break. Hope we managed to get a few weeks of, of summer sunshine and a, a chance to rest and retreat. And don't forget... Uh, to get in touch with us to let us know how long you would like this podcast to last and of course you can like rate share review on your podcast platform of choice Uh, let us know your thoughts as always on outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org thank you very much to both of you 